Welcome to Women Working Ahead, the show where working women provide honest insights into their different industries by sharing all the ups, downs, and messy bits in between of their daily lives. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. and welcome back to Women Working Ahead. I'm your host, Sierra Mercer. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. It's going to be a really, really fun one today. I've been really, really looking forward to it. Um, so a few days ago, I asked the followers over on the Women Working Ahead's uh, Instagram page to send me their questions about anything they want to know about mining, working at a mine, or just anything really. And I got a lot of questions. Thank you so much for anyone who decided to send in a question. It really, really helps me and it helps this show. And I really, really appreciate your support. If you are not following Women Working Ahead over on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and you want to join the conversation, please head on over there. Uh, all of the show announcements, for example, new episodes and who the guest will be that week will all be announced over there so if you want to stay in touch and join that community please go and do that that'll really really help support the show and please if you do enjoy these episodes and you want to stick around for more please hit that subscribe button leave a rating and review that would help me out so so much all right so I think that's pretty much all the housekeeping for this episode. So I think I'm going to get into the questions here. I've got the list in front of me and I didn't really, I wanted to try to keep these answers as kind of spontaneous and honest as I could. So I haven't actually really gone in depth and looked at these ahead of time. Looks like most of the questions here are asking about what it's like working underground and uh, PPE actually. So I think I'll start with the PPE questions. There are a few here. And so one of the questions is, what do you wear in terms of personal protective equipment? So this was something that I didn't really know about ahead of time. I figured I'd be wearing a hard hat and maybe coveralls. But I remember when I was handed all of my personal protective equipment, and we do actually have a supplier on site that hand us everything that we could ever need. It's kind of a little warehouse shop down in the basement of the administration building. And you basically go down and just say, hey, I'm going to be going underground. Can you hand me everything I need? So we do have someone on site who provides all of our personal protective equipment for us. And it was all men's PPE. And I will be, there's another question about specifically women's PPE and finding sizes for women and I'll chat about that in a second but in terms of just the general PPE um, I remember asking my male co-workers uh, to show me how all the pieces kind of fit together because working at this mine they're really really strict on how you wear your PPE for example our mining belts that we wear have to be on the third loop and wearing your hard hat you have to have very very specific placement of your safety reflective stickers that they're really really specific about that so there were things like that that I just didn't know about and I had to kind of ask uh, my male coworkers about but so I'll kind of list out what the main components are and I'll list them out in order of how I put them on uh, just because if you are listening and you don't know even where to start you can kind of follow this as a bit of a guide 
if you're putting on all of this personal protective equipment yourself. So basically what happens when I'm going underground is I'll head into the change room and I'll change out of my street clothes is what we call it, which is my, basically my day clothes, change out of those and I'll put on some kind of breathable kind of athletic clothing. I'll wear usually just kind of spandex shorts and a breathable tank top just because it is hot underground. So I'll put on kind of workout gear basically and then what I'll do is I'll grab my full coveralls and they are one piece. They can be available in two pieces. I know there's some people that wear a shirt and pants, but in my particular case, I do have a full one piece coveralls. So I'll pull those on and make sure I've got all of my tags that I re- I'm required to have when I'm going underground. So pull on the coveralls and zip up. And then next, I'll usually grab my boots out. So all the boots that we wear underground have full metatarsal steel toe support. So You can't actually bend your foot almost at all inside them and you basically cannot feel anything and those definitely took a lot of getting used to especially trying to drive in boots that you just can't feel anything. Um, That was definitely an adjustment but I do wear full rubber boots. Um, This is only because I'm usually trekking through puddles so I want to have the big rubber boots but I know some people will wear kind of shorter lace-up leather boots so you can kind of pick and choose on that. I recommend if you are going to be trekking through puddles like myself I recommend going for the rubber boots and so what I will do is I'll kind of wrap my coveralls in my socks and then I'll put my feet in my boots and tuck my coveralls in my boots. Again, this is personal preference and I wasn't sure on this when I first started, but because I'm going to be trekking through puddles, I don't want the bottoms of my coveralls. Um, If I put them over top of my boots, I didn't want the bottom of my coveralls to get wet and ruined constantly. So I actually do tuck my coveralls inside my boots just to keep the bottom of them protected. So I do do that. Again, it's personal preference, whatever you want to do. Um, so once you have your boots on, you have your coveralls on, the next step would be your belt if you are wearing a belt. And we do have a specialized mining belt and this one has a a metal ring that's called the D-ring on the back and this is used for attaching a lifeline to if you're working around open holes or if you're working at height this provides just a little bit of extra safety for you Um, and then like I mentioned before the mining belt needs to be on the third loop Um, just in case you do fall you can't have that belt loosening up and opening so that is a requirement that we have so the mining belt on and then next would come the safety glasses and the hard hat and safety glasses they're pretty self-explanatory you can get them anywhere so you put on the safety glasses and then the hard hat uh, we do have to put on special reflective stickers on them we also have to have our first and last name on our hard hat as well and then inside the hard hat we have special uh, safety emergency contact numbers inside so the hard hard hat isn't all that fancy Uh, there are different colors of hard hat based on whether you're a supervisor or whether you have special mine safety training Um, but generally the average worker will have a blue hard hat like myself and I know that some 
uh, sites do require you to have a reflective halo around the hard hat or a flashing blue light on the back. We don't have any of that. It's not a requirement at our site, but just make sure that if it is a safety requirement that you have all of those pieces. And then finally, you uh, put on your gloves and your gloves, they have all kinds of additional tearing resistance, cutting resistance, all kinds of extra stuff. And I find that gloves, I think out of all of the PPE that I had, the gloves were one of the only things that they had a good variety of small sizes in. Um, that's basically it for what I wear underground and usually uh, I'll have kind of a shoulder bag with me and I'll usually attach a wrench to my belt and there is a spot also on your belt for where your battery for your cap lamp also sits and that's just basically an additional strap that sits on the belt that you can slide the battery on and attach for your cap lamp as well but that's basically everything that I wear underground and so Talking more on men's PPE versus women's PPE, and I did get a question about this. And so, yes, we do get, I do wear men's PPE, and I just find that the coveralls in particular, they're a bit oversized. Yeah, the length of the arms and legs are a little bit long, but I just kind of roll them, and I wear my, my, uh, coveralls tucked into my boots anyway so it's not a huge deal for me um, but when I did get hired on the lady who kind of takes care of the PPE and the coveralls um, she actually also offered to order some women's coveralls in for me they uh, at the mine they order through cover gals and their site is actually really, really great. Um, so if you need to get your own PPE, I highly recommend checking out Cover Gals. That's cover, uh, G-A-L-L-S.com. Check them out. They've got all kinds of things. I think they have basically all the PPE you could ever want except for boots. Um, and so I know that a few of my female colleagues do wear Cover Gals. And the only difference with the female coveralls is that they are a little bit uh, more fitted and they also have a butt flap on the back that allows you to obviously go to the washroom without having to completely unzip and take off all of your coveralls basically. So, and I believe that they are all, they're, they're pretty much true to size and, but definitely if you're thinking of ordering full coveralls from them, um, my female colleagues recommended that you measure everywhere where they recommend and go off of those measurements and then they also said to maybe size up one or two sizes if you want them to fit a little bit looser so just keep that in mind and then I did ask around a little bit more about specifically boots and I know boots are a big uh, concern at the mine that I work at fortunately I managed to fit in the smallest size they had on site but I know one of the female most recent hires, she has smaller feet than me. I'm about a seven and a half and I could fit into, I think like a men's five or six boots, but I know she was just, a, her feet were just a little bit too small and they had to specially order some boots in. I'm not sure where they ordered them from, but I did do a little bit of research and found this really great site called Direct Workwear 
Com, and it looks like it's they sell all kinds of PPE, but they also sell specifically women's PPE, and they do offer free shipping for qualified Canadian orders over $75, and they do have steel toe rubber boots um, because you can find just regular women's steel toe boots. You can find those boots at Mark's Work Warehouse or wherever you have a local supplier. Those you can find almost anywhere, but I find having women's sized steel toe metatarsal support rubber boots were just a little bit more difficult to find. So check out directworkwear.com if you need steel toe rubber boots, definitely check them out. So those are kind of the two sites that I recommend. If you have any more recommendations on where to find women's PPE that are really, really good, please share it with the group. I'm sure many of us are all asking the same questions. It would really, really help us all out if you can share any more recommendations that you might have. If you want to share your own story on the podcast, please feel free to send the show a direct message over any of the Women Working Ahead social media pages or over email at womenworkingahead at gmail.com. You can also tag Women Working Ahead in any of your posts to share how you're being your own boss babe and how you're making your mark in your industry. All right, so I think that's it for the women's PPE. And so the next kind of big group of questions is working underground. What is that like? So I definitely have a few here. So one of them is how often do I go underground? So I think I mentioned this in my previous episode, but basically in my ground control group, at least one of us goes underground every single day, if not every other day. And we usually go underground for between five and eight hours and we're going all over the place inspecting different areas. And then I do have a question about how often do we actually interact with the technical staff underground. And that kind of depends. It depends on whether we're going into an active area where someone is working. So I got I'd probably say that if I go underground three times a week, let's say, Two out of the three times I'm actually chatting with the underground personnel and uh, working in an area where there is somebody there who is working. And in those kind of situations where you're walking into an area where someone is working, the most important thing in that situation is first to kind of stand back, get their attention and wait for them to shut off the equipment and motion you to enter their area and then the next kind of steps is to go up ask them if you can work in the area that they are working in and whether they mind if you interrupt their work most of the time they're perfectly happy to sit have a chat these guys get paid by the hour so most of the time they really really don't mind um so I'll go in and then I'll have a look around see what's going on and then I'll ask them how are things going? What's the rock doing? Are you having any troubles? Do you have any questions? Stuff like that. And I think that's really, really important coming in as a young engineer to really, really acknowledge that this person who's working here 
They may have 30 or 40 years experience and it's so important to not make it seem like just because you're the engineer with all this fancy education, it doesn't mean that you know any more than this person does. And it's so important not to make it seem like you are telling them how to do their job. So that's a whole side thing. But basically when you're entering an area where someone is working, it's just really, really good. It's common courtesy to get their permission to work in there and uh, interrupt their work. And so in terms of what it's actually like underground, so it is, well, in a few words, it's dark, it's hot, and it's loud. And this was definitely an adjustment for me. And definitely in our particular mind, I think the heat is probably the biggest, the heat and the darkness is probably the biggest shock when you go underground because you're just not used to it. And basically anywhere below about 9,000 feet, we call it the tropics because it's probably around 30 to 35 degrees Celsius, 100% humidity. And I know that sounds really, really hot, but it's not like standing outside on a bright sunny day getting roasted by the sun. It's more kind of hot and sticky, which so kind of like after a rainstorm or something, you know, that really kind of hot, sticky, humid feeling. It feels more like that. And you do get used to it. I mean, when you first kind of hop out of the AC in your truck, it kind of hits you like a wall. But uh, once you start wandering around, you're not too, too bad, but you do sweat. We're wearing long sleeves, long pants. Um, So this is where the kind of breathable workout clothes under the coveralls really, really helps. Um, And then making sure that you drink a lot of water. This was really, really important. And it was something that took me a little bit of time to really prioritize just because when you are underground there is this tendency that you just want to rush 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 and try to get as much done as fast as you can but really prioritizing taking a breather drinking water that'll just help you to keep working longer so this was really really important and there is good ventilation it's only really in the areas that are inactive that the air does start to feel really heavy, but usually when you're in the active areas, there's really, really good ventilation. So most of the time you'll be walking along and you'll get hit with kind of the end of our vent tube where all the air is coming out and you'll just stand there in the breeze for a while and dry off. Um, so you do get used to it, but it isn't, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's still uncomfortable, but uh, it does, it does get better. Um, and then in terms of, the darkness. So this was a really big concern of mine because I'm not a huge fan of the dark. I can deal with the small spaces. I can deal with the loud noise, but the dark was something that just didn't really sit well with me. And so it is dark. And if you are down there with no light, if your cap lamp is off for some reason, or you're don't have your flashlight on or whatever, yes, it's pitch black you cannot see your hand which is an inch in front of your face and I know that sounds terrifying but you always have your cap lamp on and I make sure that I keep at least two really really strong flashlights with me on at all times pretty much and I find that that works well for me and 
if there is a situation where I just I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable in the dark I will kind of walk back to the refuge station which is at the level access and it will have permanent lighting on at all times so if in doubt and if you're ha- if you're uncomfortable or if for example your flashlight dies and your camp your cap lamp is just not doing it for you there's always somewhere where you can go where there will be permanent lighting so you can work with that and I find that that helps but again those flashlights are really 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 strong and I find that those work fine for me um and then in terms of smell sound so smell I this was actually something that I didn't really have an issue with um, but I did talk to other people and they really really picked up on this so the air underground it's really really heavy and even with really good ventilation there are still diesel fumes that are circulating in the air and apparently other people can really, really pick up on this and really, really smell this and they're really, really paranoid about breathing in the air. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, yeah, the air underground isn't great. I'm not even going to lie about that and say that it's like a fresh breeze, obviously not, Um but they did notice that and I think in that particular case if you do have an issue with chemicals in the air or whatever you can wear masks if we're in a situation where it's really really dusty we do have dust masks if we're in an area where uh, there might be gases we do have gas masks Um, and then all of the engineering staff and all of the underground staff Uh, carry gas monitors with us and those measure all of our toxic gases for example there can be methane it measures the oxygen levels and we keep those on and with us at all times so if we're wandering into an area where there is less ventilation we have some peace of mind with the gas monitor but again you're underground the air does get circulated out but it's not like standing outside fresh air fresh breezes and then the sound it's loud it honestly is in most areas it's loud between the equipment the fans are really really loud and just the trucks it's it can be very very loud and all of us we do carry earplugs with us and we do have earmuffs on our hard hats so we do have the ability to have double hearing protection in the areas that are very very loud so if you are sensitive to loud noises you do have the option to wear the muffs and or wear the earplugs themselves and you get used to always having sound around you so when you enter into these inactive areas where it's quiet you have this really really stark contrast between the sound and now all of a sudden no sound and those quiet areas are so eerie because you're so aware of all of the creaks and pops that are happening in the rock around you where in these loud active areas you can't hear at all so you're really aware of every single little sound when you're in these quiet areas and what I'll do and I mentioned this in the previous episode is I'll actually sing to myself in these quiet areas just for there to be a little bit of sound (laughs) Um, and then I did get one question about claustrophobia and whether it feels like when you're underground that you've got 
several thousand feet of rock above you. And I don't have this problem. Um, I don't have any issues with small spaces, you know, in relative terms. But I did talk to one of my coworkers who does have this fear. And she indicated that when she, when she went underground for the first time, that the issue wasn't the actual size of the openings because our openings are like 14 feet high. The openings underground have to be large enough to fit all of our big equipment. So they are actually these large cavernous openings. But she said that the problem for her was the idea of having an escape route. And I didn't realize that this was a component of this fear, but Apparently, when she was driving down the ramp and people were constantly reminding her of how deep she was underground, apparently she was really, really aware of that. And she said that even though she knew that there was potentially an escape route to get out of an area, like our ramp, you could technically walk to surface if you really, really wanted to. It would take you probably like a day of uphill walking but you could technically get out but she still said that she was very aware of an escape route or lack thereof when she was down in these lower levels but she did say that once she started working and she had a task that distracted her mind it really really helped and she wasn't constantly thinking about how deep she was and how much rock was actually above her head so hopefully that answers that question. And then uh, I think I'm going to finish up with... Oh, I did actually get a question about what kind of a day in my life looks like. And I do want to go quite a bit in detail in this and really take you through what an average day when I go underground, what that all looks like. So I might dedicate a future episode to that. So I'm not going to answer that uh, right now in this episode. So I'm kind of getting low on time here, so I'm only going to answer one more question, and it is a great question, and it is, what is one thing that you wish people knew about working in mining? And there are a few things, and I've kind of narrowed it down to two that I want to talk about. Sorry, I couldn't narrow it down to one. Um, but one of them is, so... Traditionally, mining, I know, does not have the greatest track record in history, and I know that mining can cause a lot of really, really significant issues, particularly in third world countries, and I think because people don't know a lot about mining just right off the bat, they see these uh, mines that are causing problems and they automatically associate those problems to every other mine on the planet. And they just assume that all mining is bad. And I just want, I'm not, no, I'm not saying that mining is great. I know mining has a lot of problems. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that mining is the absolute best thing in the world and that there are no problems. Obviously not. It's got, it's, it's got its issues. Um, but Mining has improved significantly since 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's constantly improving. And I don't want people to think that all mining is bad and that we are just ignoring all of these issues. Mines are working very, very hard to 
really improve their technology, make it more sustainable, make it more uh, environmentally friendly. Um, there's constant experimentation and testing that's being worked on to make our ground support more efficient, to uh, eliminate the diesel fuel emissions in the air underground by going to full electric. We have robotic equipment that operators can actually sit on surface and operate. They basically have their remote controls and they can actually operate the equipment from a safe location up on surface. So I just think it's would be great if people knew a little bit more about mining. And I do think that we have a long way to go, but I think that people need to understand that we are working very, very hard to make this industry sustainable in the long run and that we are trying to test and improve our technologies to make the whole situation better. So that's kind of one of the things that I just want people to realize and kind of wrap their head around and you're entitled to your own opinions this is just my opinion but anyway that's kind of one of the things and then the second one and this one is very near and dear to my heart because this is probably the most common assumption that I hear all the time from people when I tell them that I work at a mine and this is for some reason people assume that a woman working in mining with these guys, for some reason, she is automatically assumed to be less feminine, less delicate, and just one of the guys. And I want to say, this is completely untrue. Yes, we are capable women. I can go down there and work in the dirt, in the dust, just as well as any other guy. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to get full glam for work just to take off all my makeup and put on my dirty coveralls. There is no one or the other and just because I work in an environment where I'm down in the dirt getting covered in all kinds of stuff or I work down with these rough guys does not mean that I lose my femininity in any way shape or form and this may be completely self-explanatory for someone but I do get this assumption all the time and also another thing is yeah I work with a lot of these rougher guys they're working in a difficult environment and it definitely takes a certain kind of person to be able to work long hours in that kind of environment and so another thing that people assume is that I have to change my mannerisms or my tone of voice or my language in order to communicate effectively and get respect from those guys well let me tell you there is an ongoing bet with my coworkers to see how long I will last without calling a guy buddy underground and I gotta say I have not done it once and that's just my personal preference I'm not gonna change how I speak or how I I don't know express my opinions just because I'm worried that I'm not gonna be able to communicate with these guys in my case how I see it is this is me I'm a feminine woman who just so happens to be able to go underground and work in the dirt this is me. I'm not going to change who I am. Take it or leave it. And honestly, if I want to wear a neon pink full suit and killer boots that clip clop down the hall to work, I'm going to. If I want to curl my hair and do a full face of makeup, full glam moment, 
at work. I'm going to do it. I already stick out. I might as well look absolutely fabulous. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say on that. Hopefully that all makes sense, but got a little bit extra time here. So I'm going to finish up this episode like I did the one before by sharing a funny underground story, just so you guys all have a smile on your face when you finish up this episode. So the last episode, I kind of shared my most embarrassing driving story. So for this episode, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. I'm going to share um, something that's slightly different. Um, so actually, just a little bit of background. One of the things you need to understand about me, just my personality and when I go underground, um, compared to my coworkers, I'm a little bit less concerned about sketchy areas. So what I mean by that is when we enter into an area and it's the ground support's looking a little sketchy or there's a giant puddle that's we don't know how deep it is in front of us. My mentality is, well, I got to get these photos on the other side of that puddle. So I'm just going to go straight on in and start trekking ahead. And then I'll have to, you know, figure it out as I go. <laughs> and usually that kind of mentality ends up with me being waist deep in a puddle and my coworkers having to drag me out. And in this particular case, we, it was myself and my coworker and uh, we entered on to this level and we come around the corner and there's this big pile of uh, kind of a clay-like substance. We call it slime, but it's basically like a clay and probably about a meter thick. And it was right at the level where we needed to get past it. And so my coworker, he goes on first, he starts walking and it looks like it's stiff enough that we could safely walk across it we couldn't get our vehicle over top but we could walk across it it was kind of solidified enough that we felt it was safe so he walked ahead of me and then I climbed on behind him and started walking behind him well if any of you have ever walked kind of like on the beach or over these really really fine materials you know that if someone is walking ahead of you and they're actually when they're walking they are disturbing the sediment below the feet and if there is water that is being retained in that uh, soil, that disturbance will actually cause you to sink. <laughs> Do you see where this is going? Basically, he walks ahead of me, he starts disturbing the material, the fine material, and I start sinking behind him. And he also starts sinking, but I'm sinking much, much quicker. And uh, fortunately, we both had our big, tall rubber boots on, but it was getting pretty, we were, I was sinking pretty quick there. And so he managed to actually get out, but I was sinking so much. Uh, my one foot was really, really sinking. So of course, instinct to put your other foot down to try to pull your other foot up and your other foot ends up getting stuck. It's like standing in that really, really deep snow and you just have nowhere to kind of grab onto because everything just starts sinking. It was kind of like that situation. So anyway, I'm slowly sinking and I'm standing there and I just cannot get my foot with my boot out. Uh, I was sinking probably I was up to about mid-calf by now and uh, <laughs> I'm standing there and I'm slowly panicking by the way because I just keep sinking and uh, I'm trying to lift my feet out but I don't know if it was just suction or the weight of the material over my boots. I just could not get one leg up and I tried to kind of maneuver but if I had put my arm down I would have just 
sunk again. So at this time, my uh, coworker, he managed to get a lifeline attached to the D-ring on my belt. And uh, he, <laughs> he starts pulling me, pulling me. And of course, we're both killing ourselves laughing at this point that neither of us can actually do anything because we're just dying laughing. And he's like full force, full body weight, leaning back, trying to pull me out and at this whole time I was trying to prevent myself from laying back because that would have been kind of an easier option it was basically if I just got pulled back onto my back and just lifted up my feet but it was our first stop of the day and I didn't really want to be rolling around in cold wet clay right at the beginning of our underground trip so he's pulling me and pulling me and nothing's happening <laughs> um, so eventually he finds some old uh, metal rebar bars and managed to kind of build a bit of a platform on top of this goopy uh, clay stuff and he manages, manages to kind of step on it and I managed to get an arm on it and the rebar provided just this nice flat surface that I could push on to get myself kind of up and get my feet up so I managed to kind of sit back on these rebar so I did get I you know full kind of clay all over kind of the bottom half and uh, by this time by the way I had sunk so much that it was going over top of my boots so I was getting clay and water in my boots and uh, I managed to kind of lean back enough and that seemed to be the right angle for me to lift my feet up but uh, and then I kind of rolled <laughs> very gracefully off of this pile and uh so I managed to get dried off a little bit but uh, I had to basically spend the entire next five hours of our trip underground covered in clay which eventually hardened so I had this dust all over me and there was no secret <laughs> when I was getting on the cage to go back up again there was no secret uh, that I had had a bit of an accident because <laughs> I was just covered in this stuff so uh yeah that was one of the funny stories with uh one of my co-workers so took a full-grown man <laughs> to try to yank me out of uh the sinking clay <laughs> anyway so that's my story for this episode I hope you enjoyed it and if you have any more questions that I didn't get to answer in uh this particular episode please Feel free to let me know over on the Women Working Ahead social media pages or send me a direct message. Uh, that's perfectly fine. If I do get enough questions uh, that I didn't get to cover, I can also do another Q&A episode. I'll happily do that. So please let me know. I'll happily take any of your questions. They could be as random as you like. I'm happy to take those. So with that all being said, please leave a rating and review. That would help me out so, so much. And I will see you in the next episode. Talk soon, everyone.